Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. And we're coming to you live from the bowels of Hades. Well... No, but it just feels like it because yeah. we're in our temporary studio until our uh, regular studio is completely done being renovated. Yeah. And it's a very, very uh, small office with a lot of computer and equipment, and it's quite warm. Yeah, we have all the lights off. Um, we're stripped down to just our, our uh, underwear. Um, I am, of course, wearing the Batman underoos. Um, Please help me. Yeah, last week it was the Wonder Woman ones, and I was told that was not appropriate. Uh so anyway, it probably wouldn't have been such a big deal if you hadn't been walking around the office afterward. It was the lariat that was really giving people the problem. It's like, tell me the truth. I really hope we're going to edit this out. No, this is going <laughs> to stay. Liz, this all stays in. Um, uh, all right. So she'll you, tender my resignation once at, we're done. At any rate, um, and Mr. Frederick's in the background snickering. Uh, no, here's the problem, folks. It's hot and I'm, I'm punchy. So just just warning you before we really get into this this uh, episode. But this episode does come to us courtesy of a little 
listener mail. This listener mail comes from our uh, our friend Tassin. We've had him write in before. Yeah. All right. So anyway, he says, "Hi, JNC. I just wanted to get <laughs> he knows us on a first. He knows us on a first, first initial, initial basis. basis. That's how good a friend he is. And he and he signs off Tass." So I just wanted to give a podcast suggestion because I don't remember hearing anything about it lately. I used to work as a document management consultant helping companies convert large filing systems of paper documents into electronic files with a database for search and retrieval. So my question slash suggestion, how far are we from the paperless office? Is this even a goal of organizations anymore? Thanks. Love the show. So we're going to talk about what the heck happened to the paperless office. Uh, this is something that we've been hearing about for decades. Oh, yes. And, Quite a long time. And you, all right, let me ask you this, Chris, from a, just your personal opinion, just technologically speaking mm-hmm. and technologically only, do you think technologically we are at a point where a paperless office is possible? Not only yes, but I think we have been technologically at a point where it is possible to do it. I completely agree with you, Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. We are at a point right now where we could go paperless if we really wanted to. From a technological standpoint, point. But here's the here's the issue. It turns out that uh, offices are full of these things we call um, what is it? Uh, people, and people work differently than technology. Uh, there are a couple of reasons for this. One is a good a good point that was made in the the myth of the paperless office. That's a uh, book by uh, Abigail Sellen and Richard Harper. Yeah, which uh, you can buy in print. Yeah, it's a nice, yes, you can. You can actually buy a print copy of the paper. I'm, I'm not office. making fun of it. It's just, it's just ironic. It is kind of funny. Um, so the point. It's actually a pretty interesting book. I'd like to go back and read it cover yes. to cover because it's, it's actually kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. The, the, the one of the points they make is that business evolved along with the use of paper. So with, you know, paper was an, an integral part of the way business started and, and, uh, and the way we think of business today. Uh, paper is a very important part of that. And just taking it out of the equation just because you happen to have a computer doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it's funny because uh, they're they're trying to take back the idea of the paperless office to its roots. Um, and it was a, a Business Week article in 1970s, and they were talking to uh, uh, Xerox Park head uh, George Paik, who was talking about the office of the future. Right. How many times have we... Talked about the office of the future on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, uh, he didn't actually say, people have attributed it to him, but he didn't actually say that the office of the future would have no paper in it. In fact, that probably, as, uh, uh, Sullen and Harper point out, that probably would have been a very bad idea for him to say since Xerox makes copiers. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it, but he said that, you know, there are technologies that are changing. The typewriter is going to go away was one of them. And I think people sort of extrapolated from there. But I mean, even, um, in Dan Norman's book, The Invisible Computer, uh, Thomas Edison, you know, they were talking about some of the recording technology that he came up with, you know, the cylinders, the, the wax sure. cylinders, mm-hmm. and people would be able to make a recording of something and give it to someone else. So they wouldn't necessarily have to write out a memo to give to somebody else in the office. They could actually give you the recording, um, and pass that around. Or, you know, Vannevar Bush's, uh, Memex from, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as we may think back in 1945, the Atlantic article, and that's another really good article to read if you're interested in it. But he had this idea how, um, it sort of foreshadowed and sort of became a self-fulfilling prophecy of the internet 
that you would have a desk where you had all your materials and you would store them all on microfilm because it's, again, the internet he, well, it hadn't been invented yet. Um, Right. But rather than, you know, keeping a desk full of files and file folders and, and stuff on paper, you would basically take a snapshot of it and, and put it on microfilm, which is much smaller and more convenient to store. Um, you know, so people had a, a number of different I- ideas that had led up to it. And, and, you know, when they actually started thinking about the concept of, well, you know, we could, we could just scan all this stuff in and, and store it. It would be so easy to go without paper. But yes, as it turns out, on a computer screen, you can't spread it all over your desk and see how everything fits together yeah. or, you know, tack it up to the wall. Or let's say that you have a report and the points you really want to hit in the report when you're making your presentation are on pages one and seven. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to take page one and then take page seven and leave everything else behind in a physical format. Now, you can do that electronically, too. Don't get me wrong. But there's an extra step there. I mean, you've got that interface uh, that you have to work with with the computer. With paper, you literally pick up one sheet of paper, pick up a second sheet of paper, and you're done. Yes. Right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no dealing with anything else. It is a very fast system. Um, there, So paper has a real use in business. And, uh, and, and there's a – so there's, there's that part where mm-hmm. paper and business are so closely entwined that – uh, that a truly paperless office is a difficult thing to manage. It's not impossible. There are offices that have done it or at least have reduced paper to such an extent that you could more or less call them paperless. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, most businesses still rely, at least in some measure, on paper because it it it's useful. It's useful and it's easy. Mm-hmm. And we we have it culturally ingrained in us to use paper. Yep. Um, when you think about it too, paper is a form of technology. It's just a form of technology that's been ubiquitous for so long that we don't even think of it as right. being that way. Yeah, it's just there. Um, it, it, but it is high tech. If you think about it, um, it, it stays around for a very long time. I mean, the quality of, of ink and the quality of paper that we have now, um, it's a lot more likely to last 15 years than a particular file format. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't fix that. <laughs> but the way things have been evolving right now, um, libraries, for example, have, have a very difficult time with this because um, file formats have been changing. The machines sure. that play different kinds of file formats change. The, the programs that are used, they go out of date. So the thing is, you have a, you know, for example, we'll take from some something from my background, something I wrote in Scribble for the Commodore Amiga, and I have it stored on a 3.5-inch floppy disk that I wrote out in college. Now that was, you know, about, let's say 20 years ago, which it was just about, it's 20 years old. Something that I wrote on a piece of paper from that time would be perfectly legible and well, it would be perfectly readable by uh, a yeah. handwriting analysis <laughs> person. Um, but the thing is, it, if I wanted to read the file on that floppy disk, number one, I would have to hope that the, the material, the magnetic medium hadn't corrupted, you know, and become so brittle by this point that it is, uh, you know, unreadable. Right. I would have to find an Amiga to run it on. I would have to find an Amiga with Scribble on it and yeah, hope it's, that, it's that rendered, it was all functioning. It's and rendered almost inaccessible. They call I mean, it data rot. So, yeah. It's so difficult to get to. Now, the Internet has managed to take a lot of those concerns and kind of put them to the side just from the sense that you can store things in the cloud now. And mm-hmm. even as as companies upgrade their cloud systems, they, of course, have to port old information over. I mean, if they can't, then they're going to go out of business. 
but that's expensive because it takes people to port that stuff over. Right. And but, uh, you also have to have file formats and storage capacity and all that stuff. You know, it's it ain't cheap. Right. But the the point being that it is it is, in fact, possible for you to now store things electronically where you don't have to worry as much about the physical medium or the uh, or the even the software. Um, True. Going bad on you. Sure. Think, especially when you have access to things like, say, Google Docs or the Microsoft uh, online suite. Mm-hmm. Um those, you know, uh, they usually build backwards compatibility into that. And even if the backwards compatibility starts to g- kind of uh, uh, slake off later on, they'll probably just go ahead and tweak it so that you can you can convert your files over into the proper format. Mm-hmm. But um, that that aside, I think just psychologically, there's an importance we put on things that are put on paper that we don't think of in electronic format. Um, and this is kind of armchair psychology. Okay, so, sure. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is not based on anything scientific or any studies yeah, you've done. This is Jonathan talking out of his own armchair psychology, uh, lazy boy. So, uh, I see what you did there. Yeah. It's kind of hard to fit it in the office and boy, is it getting warm in here. But, uh, so the, the armchair psychology approach is that when you have something written down on paper, it's, it's got a physical presence. Yes. Right. You mm-hmm. can see it. You can touch it. You can pick it up. You can wad it up if you want to. You can throw it away. Um, you can file it. You can tell your assistant to go and unfile it. Find that piece of paper that you filed for no reason other than to make that person go and get it back for you because you're a powerful man, Mr. Executive. How you like me now, boss? Give me the Stevenson report. I think I, I think I went off on the rails on that one. But at any rate, the point being that it has that physicality to it. And that's that's an important Factor. Mm-hmm. When you have an electronic f- file, you know, you've got, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't really exist. Yeah. You know, it exists on a computer screen, but once you turn your computer off, you don't have it in your hands anymore. Yeah. You know, you have to have the computer on to, or some other device, whether it's a Kindle or other e-reader or a smartphone or whatever, whatever it is you're using to access that file. Uh, you know, you have to have this other device on in order to access it. And it just mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it's real. Not yeah. like not like a piece of paper does. Yeah. Now, if you can get over that, that's cool. But if you can't, then you're going to be like uh, a boss I had several years ago at a different company, and I'm not going to name it. But I really did have a boss who would get maybe 50 or 60 emails in a day, mm-hmm. and he printed every single one of them and then filed them away. Yeah, I know. I know other people like that too, and. uh you know, I know a lot of people to in places that I've worked, actually very com- various companies where I've worked, and I'll print something that I need, and I'll walk over to the printer, and it will be next to the – I actually have mentioned this on the podcast before. For you long-time listeners, you'll recognize this. But um, there, there will be a stack of paper, you know, sometimes even you know a whole pack worth of paper sitting next to the printer of jobs that people have printed but never claimed. Right. Um, you know, so they People get it in their head that they need a copy of it, and they print it out, and then they forget that they actually needed it. Right, and it turns out they didn't need it as bas- badly as they thought. Well, it's funny because uh, another one of the things, too, that I, I read was uh, an article in The Economist. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the 1980s and 1990s, um, during the years when technology was really beginning to catch on, people started having a computer on their desk, uh, sometimes at home, too. Uh, especially in the early 80s, you know, that was a real novelty um, for the early part of the decade. But uh, 
consumption, you know, this is when theoretically the office of the future was going to start eliminating paper. But at that point, consumption of paper, all, you know, more than doubled in those years mm-hmm. because, you know, once the internet caught on, there was all this other information and people wanted copies of it. So, you know, and printers became really, really good. Desktop publishing became a phenomenon. And all of a sudden we were printing way more than usual. But since 2001, apparently, uh, paper use has been in decline. Um, and it seems like social factors may be partially responsible for that because people are growing up. They're, they're used to the technology now. Right. They don't necessarily need to, to print the emails and file them away. Right. Uh, people who have, you know, gone through school all the way through with, you know, and they're used to the computer and the internet and they don't have to, they just don't need to print stuff out like they used to. So it's, it's starting to decline, but it's still. Very yeah, it's definitely a, a, a it's definitely a cultural thing. I think if uh I think as we go on, we will arrive at more of or less a paperless office kind of environment across most industries. Uh mainly because by then it'll those industries will be staffed by people who grew up in that environment that you yeah. were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh for those of us who who came before, you know, we we're just from a different time where it you know a time from far past. Uh, where we just are used to using paper and it's hard to get that. It's hard to, to break free of that, mm-hmm. which is why if you, if you are a company and you're looking at, um, switching to a paperless environment, it really means changing more than just telling people not to print stuff. It means creating new organizational workflows. It, it really means rethinking the way you go about doing your daily job mm-hmm. so that you don't have to rely on paper at all. Um, and it's more than just providing the tools. You have to provide the training and you have to expect that there's going to be a, a period where people have to learn these new, these new behaviors. Mm-hmm. This is not what we're used to. And, um, I think we will see that happen over time, but it's going to be much more gradual than we expected because I think when people were making the predictions, they were thinking of it from a, a technological standpoint. Like when will we be technologically able to abandon paper? Yeah. Well, as it turns out that we were ready for that far before we were psychologically ready to do it. Mm -hmm. I can think of a number of different programs available right now, um, commercially and as shareware that allow you to, uh, you know, save different kinds of documents in them. So you can create a, a system inside the program for your Microsoft Word documents and your rich text files and your audio files and PDFs and all kinds of things. And you can basically create a, I mean, you could do the same thing essentially with a, um, you know, with a simple organizational file in your operating system. But this pro, the programs actually sort of put them together so that you have all the files in one place where you can view them inside the, the, the system. And that's, it essentially achieves the same, um, uh, the same idea of having them all in a, a file, a physical file folder, but right. you know it does help people keep things organized and help you work uh, without having to you know spread all that stuff out on your desk. However, spreading all that stuff out on your desk can be really helpful sometimes. Yeah, sometimes that that is it's a lot easier to visualize a project when you actually have those physical pieces in front of you. Maybe something like the Microsoft Surface, right? You know, where oh, you can yeah, we sure. could have a, a a a screen, a large screen where you could, you know, actually or, spread things out a little bit more. Think about interoperability between say a computer and a tablet device. Like mm-hmm. I if if you sure. if Apple were to create uh, a, an interoperable interface 
between the iPad and, say, their Macintosh line. Yeah. And they were able to make it where it was really easy to do things like have one thing up on your iMac screen while you're taking notes on your iPad. And it's all linked together so that if you ever open it up again, you have access to all of that. Yeah. That would be brilliant. And then I would say, you know, I, before I, I kind of poo-pooed the iPad. Um, and And I think in its initial phase, it's still not really for me. But – Seeing that kind of stuff built in over time, and I yeah. assume that that's going to eventually happen, if not with the iPad 1.0. some kind then, of – Yeah, some sort of tablet yeah, device. I would think so. Um, then I'd, I would say, yeah, you know, this totally makes sense because that's one of my problems is I like to take a lot of notes about the research I'm doing. Well, it's it's a lot easier if you are doing that on paper than it, if you're doing it on a screen where – like if, if the resource material is on the screen – then you're either covering up part of the screen or you need two screens. And most of us here at How Stuff Works, we only have the one laptop. Yes. There are some of us who have multiple screens. I am not one of them. Uh, if I did have multiple screens, then I could have my notes up on one and I could have the research up on the other. It wouldn't be an, an issue. But like a, a tablet device could be helpful in that sense. Otherwise, I'm using paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so – yeah, there's that. And there's a lot of reasons why you would want to switch to a paperless office. I mean, first of all, it's the green thing to do. You're not consuming, sure. right? Uh, or at least you're not consuming paper. You're still consuming electricity. So, and you're, there's well, still other issues to take into account, but. Some people say that, that paper is greener than uh, electronics. Yeah. We touched on that. We did have a podcast before. about that ages ago. But I've, but I've seen, I've seen some new material too from environmental groups that say, well, you know, with, Certain you know, responsibly forested trees with a higher recycled paper content, it can be have less of an impact on the environment, which is just hard for me to get my head around. Yeah, but, but you would I, have to I, be I sort of understand what they say. You'd have to be purchasing your paper from a very particular vendor, and I guarantee you, it's going to be more expensive than the the average uh, ream of paper. Yes, and probably more than a company would necessarily be willing to pay. Well, yeah, most companies are going to look for the most uh, cost-effective way of, of purchasing anything. Well, yeah. Otherwise, it's hard to stay in business. But the uh, the the reasons why you want to go to paperless, besides the whole green slash clean sure. technology, it takes up less space. Oh yeah, so yeah, that can yeah. save you money mm-hmm. because now you're not you know you might not need an office space as large as you would if you had a lot of paper files. I mean, I've worked in offices that had. An entire room dedicated to paper files that with like multiple uh, uh, sliding shelves. Like you'd have to turn a crank to move the shelf down the room so you could get mm, to the next shelf. Yeah. And if if the information you needed was on the last shelf, it was going to take you a while before you got there. Um, you wouldn't need that with electronic uh, electronic filing systems. Everything would be on a server or two servers or a rack of servers, whatever. Uh, you wouldn't. It, that takes up a lot less space than an entire room full of files, and uh, it, it, and like for very big companies, that could that could mean the difference between uh, a huge office and just a rather large office. Well, and, and this is going to be uh, especially important in situations like the ones we're starting to encounter now, in which more of us are working from home more of the time. I mean, there are. Companies who are taking the plunge and going completely decentralized, and if you have a lot of paper, uh, you know you have to have all the files. Well, what if somebody across town needs that? Are you going to pay a courier? Are you going to run it over there yourself? Again, this is a high environmental cost, um, and it's really, really impractical. You know, yeah. Rather than sharing the files electronically in some fashion, so um, you know now that that more companies are becoming comfortable allowing their employees to work remotely, you know, carrying around a lot of paper in a briefcase or a you know, backpack or a truck. 
It's yeah. kind of, it's kind of, uh, really difficult to imagine at this point. The nice thing about where we work is that there's not a lot of call for us to print paper. Most of the things that we do, we can do electronically at this point. Um, it may mean logging into three separate login systems in order to get to the electronic uh, form. These things happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that does happen. But it still means you don't need paper for it. So that's kind of nice. Um, but will we get to a paperless office environment? Probably. But it'll be a generational thing, not a, not a technology thing. Yeah, I think we'll probably get to a very, very minimal paper office. It just yeah. doesn't sound nearly as cool as paperless. Paperless, right. And I mean, I, I remember when I was, took my first computer class, I was like, yeah, totally. We're not going to have any paper anymore. Yeah. And now I'm like, hey, where'd I put that piece of paper with that extremely funny and important note I wrote on it? Yeah. And where are you going to put that password? Yeah. Stick it on your computer monitor I so just, no I one will just, get into your. I always end up computer. putting it on a, 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 a little uh, post it note and then I just put it on Sarah Dowdy's back. Oh. And then I, I come by and say, hey, how you doing? All right. That's how I log in. Yeah. She hates meanwhile, that, by the way. <laughs> meanwhile, she peels it off and goes, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Yeah. Password. Well, Why is the word password on my back? I never shut up. <laughs> I never claim to be smart. Um, all right. Uh, so, well, that's, that's a good discussion on the paperless office. And, and now we will move on to a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Lisa, and Lisa says, Chris P. I thought it was crispy until Jonathan explained in a later podcast. And Jonathan, I just want you guys to know how much I love and enjoy your podcast. I travel all over Florida for my job, so I plug in my iTouch and listen to you. I learn so much, and you always manage to elicit a smile from me as well. I also want to mention that I love it when Jonathan says, a listener mail. Love that! I have so many things I'd like to hear on your podcast, but one that often comes up because I'm always looking for directions is how does Google get the street views on Google Maps? Thanks, and keep up the great work, Lisa. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. That was a very nice email to receive, especially after a very long and hectic week in a very hot studio room. Yes, I I am getting to the point where I am, in fact, crispy. Yes, yes, I'm kind of getting soggy, but let's just move on and answer your, your question there about Street View. Well, we talked about Street View in a previous podcast, not, well, it was actually quite a while ago, <laughs> yeah. but Street View is, it's a pretty simple and, and brilliant idea. What you do is you get a car or in some cases a trike or maybe even a bicycle, but mostly cars and you put on top of it four cameras. Mm-hmm. And panoramic. Panoramic cameras. So yeah, wide angle cameras. Pointing one, uh, essentially north, south, east, and west, but really in the four main directions, radiating out from the roof of the vehicle. Yeah, there are there are photos of this, haha, ironically enough, yeah. online, and you can see it is, essentially looks like a periscope right. on a submarine. It's a, a mast with the four cameras mounted right. on it, and they're digital cameras. They're taking mm-hmm. high res photos, and they take them at uh, a pretty short interval. Um, I'm not sure yeah. if it's uh, timed or if it's actually distance. Yeah. Now that I think about it, but they are geotagged. There's a GPS uh, receiver in with the vehicle and it tags each photo uh, with uh, and a compass as well. So there's a GPS tag and a compass heading for each photo so that it knows how to orient them when putting them together in Street View. So when it's all put together in Street View, it kind of looks like 
a seamless experience. Like you can, you can scan down the street and travel down the street as if you were actually in the town. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all because of these, these photos. Now, however, if you do take a turn and you start moving around, you might notice that the time of day looks a little different or maybe the, maybe it's not as sunny as it used to be because it takes a while to scan these streets and depending on traffic and things like that, it can take a long time. So Google sends these vehicles through, takes all these photos, and then assembles them and uh, and and attaches them to Google Maps because of the geo- using the geotagging feature. Um, there, are, this is not without controversy. <laughs> there, there have been a few towns that have uh, protested the use of uh, of Street View, saying that it it's a violation of privacy and that it endangers people in the town because. Uh, it could it could serve as a way for thieves to case a joint. That's what we call it when we uh, uh, I mean when thieves look at houses and try to find a vulnerable way in. Um, it also could capture people in uh, unflattering situations, such as coming out of uh, of the cheetah. Yeah, which only a few people are going to actually know. But let's not don't look that. it up. Don't look it up. It's a it's an exotic dancing location within Atlanta, and uh, the only reason I know that it exists is because I used to work there, uh, a block away from there. And um, so, if you know, you wouldn't want to the you wouldn't want to be walking out of there and see the Google car going by at that moment and think, "Great, my picture is going to be on Google Street View forever." So that's why the Google Street View now they have a, a an automatic. Uh, algorithm that will blur out people's faces so that their identities remain somewhat secret. Um, but there are other issues as well. In fact, Google has, has mentioned pre, uh, not that long ago that they were thinking about letting communities know when they were going to send a car through. And when you think about it at first, you're like, oh, that's a great idea because I can make sure that my my lawn is, is mowed so it doesn't look nasty and that that you know the uh, the house is in good shape, so that way, if the if I ever do decide to sell my house and someone looks at my house in Street View, it's not going to look like a you know a ramshackle hut. But other people are thinking, hey, this is great because if I know they're going to be going through, I can arrange a really funny tableau, and uh, and mess with Google and have like this goofy scene play out as the Google Street View uh, car goes by. This has happened before with some art project type stuff. I can just imagine the entire world turning into an enormous art project, which in my view is totally awesome. But other people say, well, that kind of reduces the usefulness of the actual tool. Um, that more than answers that question, I think. Chris has been quiet ever since I talked about the cheetah. Yeah, I'm wondering in the paperless office if I should tender my resignation on paper. <laughs> yeah, I think you can do it by email. Okay. Uh, or even text message. You know what? I'm going to tweet it. Okay. When I'm out of here, I'm tweeting it. Okay. You heard it here first. Well, except that for the fact that I'm following in the footsteps of uh, of people who like CEOs yeah. who have used Twitter to, Everybody to does tender that. their resignation. Yeah. Well, at any rate, uh, thank you for the question. If any of you have any similar questions or just you're curious about something or you want to uh, add to our discussion, please email us, techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Remember, you can check out our blogs. Those are at blogs.howstuffworks.com. And, of course, the website itself, howstuffworks.com, still an awesome resource. And you know what? You don't even need paper to look at it. Nope. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage.
Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 